Red Business with Jonathan Healy. Hi there, and thanks for joining us. Lots to come on this episode of Red Business, but we begin with a big birthday and a very roundy birthday it is. Uh, it has delivered local news to the people of Cork for the last 130 years, and the echo is still delivering. And it is a brilliant time to speak to its longest serving editor, I believe, Morris Gubbins. Welcome to Red Business. Uh, thank you very much, Jonathan. It's, uh, it's great to be with you. You haven't been there for the full 130 years now, just to clarify. Not quite. Um, <laughs> uh, there have been times uh, when I felt like I was at least 125. But uh, anyway, um, yeah, uh, it's it's a great birthday for us. We had a we had a lovely um, get together on 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 uh, Tuesday, which was the 14th, which was the actual anniversary from 1892. Um, and our little group we got together in our offices in Lindove in Blackpool, uh, and conscious of COVID and everything, we went up on the roof uh, where the car park is, and uh, we we had some food up there and a few words from Mikey Sheehan, our um, our uh, managing director of the Examiner, the Irish Examiner, and the Echo, and financial director of the Irish Times, uh, and Mikey spoke, and I had a few words. Uh, everybody got together. It was actually a great occasion because people, including some people who had never met their colleagues uh, because they had joined in the past uh, two or three years, uh, were able to get together face-to-face, have a chat, have some food. Um, it was, to tell you the truth, it was an uplifting experience. I'd imagine it would. And the funny thing is, in the 130 years, probably the most challenging time to put the newspaper together has been in the last couple of years with COVID and the idea that the newspaper was being put together entirely remotely. You were working away from your colleagues for the first time in your career. It, it certainly was an interesting bookend to the period. It absolutely was. Um, the... Shane, you know yourself that technology and media is incredible now. Um, uh, I, I'm thinking back at various stages, like when I started off, I had a mobile typewriter. That was, <laughs> that was the height of technology for me. I used to go working for the Southern Star and for the Corkman, and you'd go around to to county council meetings and courts, and you'd have your um, your your uh, portable typewriter, and uh, you'd uh, you 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 type out your stories after the meeting in the car, and um, bring them. I used to bring the uh, the copy down to the, the train station, or the bus station, and send it off to um, to uh, Tralee or to um, Skibreen in the case of the um, Southern Star. I remember. The height of technology with the examiner one time, I went to cover um, a very important uh, soccer match in in Derry, um, and there were in order to to send a live report, it wasn't just a soccer match. Now this was a, this was when the guards, the Garda soccer team, um, was playing Derry City just after Derry City had had joined the League of Ireland because of all the trouble in the north and they weren't able to play their matches in the Irish League. But anyway, we went up to cover it as a news event. But in order to cover it, there was me, the reporter, there was a wireman, Pat Walsh, and Morris O'Mani, the photographer. We all travelled up and we had a wire machine. We obviously had our cameras and, 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 and uh, our typewriters and we sent everything back by telegraph that night. Wow! Into 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 um, into a um, um, a wire machine in Cork, and the pictures came out line by line, and it took us several hours several hours to um, 
to uh, transmit everything that needed to be to be transmitted. Um, several hours to do a, a report and the pictures um, and everything that associated with that. It, and if a and, and bear in mind, if a pigeon flew in the way in the meantime, you'd probably have to start it all over again. So at least technology yeah. has moved on somewhat since. But the one thing I love about the Echo is it has it, its unfailing commitment to the local audience. I mean, we know what a local newspaper is, but the Echo is different. It, it, it's always championed local causes. It's always been the voice of people at various different times of both strife and good times. Yes, I think the coverage over the last few days on echolive.ie, which is our, our, our website, which is absolutely flying. Um, you can get in there and you get an immersive read on all the history of the newspaper, but sure, it's the history of the newspaper, it's the history of Cork as well. You know, so many incredible events. Um, but in modern times, there's a few things that I think the Echo um, did, which I think the people of Cork uh, appreciate. We took a stand on the School of Music when the government wanted to pull out and uh, not spend the money on the new modern School of Music. Um, and we, we uh, ran a campaign against the government for that, and we won that campaign. And I saw Jerry Kelly was tweeting during the week that that should never be forgotten, that the School of Music, uh, the modern School of Music, is in Cork as a result of an echo campaign. Um, we took a stand on the airport, and when 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 Dublin wanted to load um, an enormous amount of debt onto Cork Airport, and we, we 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 ran a drive against that, and I think that was successful. And I think in recent times we've seen the benefits of Cork having the airport that it that it has. Um, it's an enormous benefit for the city, for the county, and for the whole region. The yeah. economy for jobs. So that was a good one. That was a good result. And we took a stand on the um, on the proposal to create um, a, a single metropolitan authority, which would have basically done away with um, with uh, uh, Cork City Council. And we felt we were very much a city uh, focused paper, although we we, we we stand up as much as we can for the county as well. Um, we took a stand against this proposal, and as a result of that, I think Cork City. And the immediate environs are much more powerfully represented than, yes. than they would have been. You know, so they're the kind of things. The, the Echo has that power because it's got 130 years of trustworthy, straightforward, honest reporting. So when the Echo takes a stand on something, uh, people take notice, and especially, I suppose, politicians take notice. Oh, well, they definitely do, because the politicians always want to see their name mentioned as well. Um, the, the newspaper always had advertising over, just to speak about the business side of it for a while. Uh, and, you know, the, the ads used to be all over the front page. There used to be any news on the front page in the early days, because that's, that's how it used to work. And then you'd, you'd look on the inside, and that's where the news was. It's always evolved. It's been very competitive. And I don't know how many times, Morris, over the years, you'd have had people say, oh, sure, that's it. That The echo will be the next to go. The echo will be the next to go. But you've managed to confound the market at every turn and not only confound it, but reinvent yourselves as well so that you have a very successful online product that's now working alongside a traditional print model and and circulation is, is still up there, even with all the challenges that COVID threw at you. Yeah, I mean, circulation is... Uh, circulation has, in every newspaper in the country um, is down... Um, I suppose between seven and ten percent, um, generally uh, over recent years. Uh, that's just what happens. But the way you, the way we, we would look at it, I'll, I'll give you a few points about that. Um, 
we look at it now as our reach, our um, audience. So, for instance, Echolive as a, as a website, as an ultra-modern website now, uh, we only launched that uh, three years ago. And it has not. It now has um, uh, regularly would would go over a million uh, page views per week. So if you put that with the print circulation, which is still healthy, and uh, we're still a very profitable organization, um, the, the the we reach. I think it's fair to say we reach every household in Cork City over the course of a week. Um, so it's a pretty powerful medium. And believe it or not, Jonathan, this year, uh, print advertising has risen significantly, both uh, for the Irish Examiner and for ourselves. Um, so we're very happy about that. We weren't, you know, I don't think anybody was expecting that. Um, yeah. And it, that's going well. But uh, uh, the other thing that's going very well is um, home delivery of the printed product. Because, there's, you know, like I'm here... Uh, this morning I have my echo in front of me uh, I can have my, my every weekend I'll, I'll have the Irish Times the Examiner um, and and the availability of one or two other papers um, delivered uh, to my door um, by by uh, by our company um, so there's the important thing we need our reach we need our audience and we need to be profitable like there are a lot of jobs um, between ourselves and the Irish Examiner, there are a lot of jobs in uh, the news business in Cork, you know, as well as obviously the radio stations and all the other um, all the other outlets. Um, but the 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 Echo, the Irish Examiner, are very strong economic uh, assets to Cork. Absolutely. And, and and to be fair, all over the years, the Echo has supported businesses. It's always done it. And, and the website will continue to do it into the future. And it'll be a sad day if anyone ever go, walks up Oliver Plunkett Street without hearing the cry of Echo outside of the GPO. Morris Gubbins, um, look, good luck to the next 130 years or how, however more uh, we get out of this wonderful regional title that serves its people so well. Morris Gubbins, the editor of The Echo and EchoLive.e. Thank you so much for joining us on Red Pit. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Great to talk to you. Now, my next guest is someone that I have shared a couch with on the telly many times. I've met her in Cork more recently when she was down doing the Today Show, but she has branched out. Television wasn't enough for her. She's now a fashionista. Anna Daly is behind the Little Bliss clothing range, which has been spotted out and about in many places. Anna, how are you? I'm great, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. I'm laughing to myself here because you said share the couch and I suddenly imagined you getting your makeup done in the makeup room and me lashing fake tan on my legs yes. and you telling me <laughs> that I was ruining every image that anyone could possibly have. You did. Television. You ruined the glamour. glamour disintegrated. Yeah, the glamour of television was ruined at about half past six uh, one Wednesday morning when I saw you slapping on the fake tan. It was, I don't know, I never quite recovered from it. But the good news is, right, we did survive uh, and we still pop into each other now and then, but you're very busy with the old fashion. Yes, I am. Yeah, it's keeping me going, Jonathan. Um, it's amazing what... COVID will do, I suppose, in terms of sharpening up your focus. Um, I felt that, uh, you know, I was working in television. I still am. Um, but in a different way now, I just felt it's a very volatile place. And 
I needed some future proofing and I decided rather than working with other brands on various fashion edits that I still love to do, I decided to actually do something for myself. And I'd been thinking about it for years, but I think COVID and lockdown, like so many people, changed everything. And that's, you know, the time where I felt I got to kick up the arse to do something for myself. Mm. And, and the, well, the thing about this, I remember when I met you, I told you, oh, we, we have one of your jumpers because it had come into our house as a gift before I actually knew that it was your business. So that means you were already appealing to people because of the clothing, the style and all that kind of stuff. So what was your rationale? I mean, you, you have to do something slightly different and you have to do something that reflects you. So where, where did you start Little Bliss? Yeah, well, I'm delighted it came into your house like that. That's lovely to hear. Thank you. Um, my thinking was that, you know, TV and the TV wardrobe is, is a very small part of my life. Because when you go home as a parent, and I'm sure there's lots of, of mothers tuning in here, uh, you know, my husband will often joke saying the glamour disintegrates rapidly. <laughs> the hair goes up in a ponytail, the makeup's gone and I'm kicking a ball around the green or I'm on the sidelines of a match for, with my kids and I'm in hoodies and sweatshirts. So my idea was that it would be a very casual collection that would be very true to my off off screen style I suppose little did I know Jonathan that the world was about to go casual at the same time I mean I couldn't possibly have anticipated the world's CEOs on teams calls and zoom calls in hoodies no one was wearing suits the world literally went casual and I had this casual collection ready to go and you often hear about you know business experts talking about the importance of timing I mean I couldn't have timed it any better not that there was any positives out of COVID but I suppose silver linings and all that, mm. it certainly worked for me and the style of collection that I had developed. Well, we've heard that story so many times on the podcast over recent months. It's just the COVID was a good thing for my business. It was a terrible thing for everybody, but it was a good thing for my business because it forced me to do things in a way that I mightn't have done them before. But you still had to get the product out there, Anna. I mean, you're used to doing interviews on the telly. You're used to making sure things stay on time. How familiar were you with online sales, websites, marketing? You're, you're, I suppose you know your way around Instagram, but it's different when you're promoting a product. It's totally different. And to be honest with you, I studied marketing pre-being on the telly. I was the marketing manager in TV3 all those years ago. So in a way, it's kind of coming back to that. But obviously, I studied marketing and there was no such thing as digital. There was no Instagram or social media or any of that. So of course, there's a huge learning curve. And retail is a whole new world for me. So you're absolutely right. I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning fast. My husband is in retail. I thankfully have him to ask all of my silly questions to. And unfortunately for him, he's running his business from home. So he's the, the, <laughs> no the cheapest consultant in the country. <laughs> the, the, the worst paid consultant because he really does answer all of my SEO, vast technical questions to do with the website and Shopify and everything. Um, and it's great when you have somebody like that there that you don't feel or you don't care about being silly, you know, with all of those silly questions, because it is a huge learning curve, to be honest. Yeah, but every day is a learning day when, you, when you're in business and you're growing your business. Uh, your, your market is Ireland initially. Um, have you plans to spread it out? Are you already selling overseas? Because with the website and the online, you can do it anywhere, can't you? Yeah, so I set it up as littlebliss.com um, purposely because obviously any ambitious person doesn't want to just keep their business in Ireland, I suppose, um, particularly when it's fashion. Um, so I did, I suppose, think about, you know, down the line, but very quickly people were sending gifts abroad. 
Um, Cork, by the way, incredibly successful in Cork. And it, this was pre-me being part of, you know, doing anything with the Today Show. Um, Dublin was the first market for it to uh, really start to sell in. And that's probably because I'm a dog, but, you know, TV was based in Dublin and all that kind of stuff. And it's a bigger market just based on numbers alone. But Cork is absolutely massive. And then you're right. People were sending them to the UK. They were sending them to America, Australia. And that's been tricky enough because you set your shipping rates at a certain rate where you're not looking to make a profit out of it, but you have to cover your costs. And Jesus, they've changed and gone up incredibly <laughs> in the last year and a half since I've launched. See, every day's a learning day. I told you, never. that's what keeps yeah. people on their toes more than anything else. So where does it go next, Anna? You, you, you've got the brand, it's established now, people are wearing the gear. Uh, what's next? You need to keep changing. So what I've found is it's a real struggle for me to to decide, do you repeat things that have worked really well because people are emailing you looking for them or do you keep it moving all the time? So I think the the reality is somewhere in the middle. You you keep, you know, some of your absolute staple, staple bestsellers, but you keep it evolving and moving on all the time. So I have someone who who's helping me source manufacturers, but I've gone over to Portugal myself. Um, a lot of the kind of very high-end brands come out of Portugal and Porto in particular. And I'm quite fascinated by the amount of manufacturers there. I'm talking small family businesses, you know, who make um, for Louis Vuitton and for Gucci and for all of these very high-end aspirational brands. And it is shrouded in secrecy in terms of trying to find these guys to work with. So I've been over and back and it's it's a whole other world and I'm quite fascinated by it. And it's almost like this feeling of great success when you get in their door yeah. have them make stuff for you and then you see the price points that other people put on the product and that in itself is quite astonishing <laughs> so the whole thing is just it's, it's a different world and I'm learning very fast yeah but and it's I'm totally fascinated it's it. yeah it's fun but you must be more fascinated then finally when you see somebody wearing the gear I mean I presume you've you've seen people on the street where they haven't recognized you but they're wearing little bliss well, that's what, that's what happens to me. And I find myself waving like a lunatic to people or <laughs> winking and nodding at people in Greystones at the beach or whatever. And sometimes they've no idea who I am because like, like your house, they got it as a gift or whatever. And other people, you know, I, I joke with people in coffee shops or whatever. I'd walk past them and go, nice hoodie. And I keep going. And then obviously we'd end up having a conversation and a great laugh about it. But I, I honestly feel like going still, and it's a year and a half old now, but I still feel like going up to people and going, thank you. I mean, people parting with their hard-earned cash for your product is a fascinating experience. Like the day I launched, Jonathan, it was all my friends and my family online for the first hour buying. And I fully expected that. That's what families and friends do. They want to support you. And in the afternoon, all of these, you know, strangers to me were buying. And I said to my husband on the day, and we laugh about it ever since, he got a great laugh out of it. I said, there's randomers buying my stuff. <laughs> Consumers, and he, that's and what they're he called. Was like, can I just remind you, they're your customers. <laughs> Valuable cost, very valued customers. Anna, can I just first of all I say, I didn't mean it like that at all. I, I meant it in a kind of a, I'm really flattered that people yeah. are part of their cash. Yeah, it's too late. Too, the product, yeah, it's too, too late now. You've said it. Um, can I just thank you um, for first of all not outing me for the fact that it was my bottle of fake tan that was on the go that morning in Ireland all those years ago that I kindly given you a loan. Uh, but come here wish you the very best of luck littlebliss.com is the website address if people want to have a look at it thanks very much Jonathan Anna Daly we'll talk to you again
Thank you. Take care. Get the Red Business Podcast every week with Jonathan Healy at redfm.ie and wherever you get your podcasts. One of the few heated pools of its kind in Ireland has reopened this year. It is in beautiful East Cork in the grounds of Ballymaloe House. Now, I would guess there aren't many pools that relied on the help of an explosives expert to build it. And to tell us the story of what has happened with that wonderful pool and what kind of a season they're looking forward to in Ballyblue House. The General Manager, Laura Bean, is with us. Hello, Laura. Hi, Jonathan. How are you? Thanks for having me. You're not the explosives expert in question now, are you? I am not the explosive expert. No, <laughs> that's not in my uh, in my um, tricks and, and of the trade. Yeah, well, okay. um, there's, no, many other, there's many other things that are within, within your remit. But tell us about the pool, first of all, because I didn't realise it existed until I saw it recently. Yes, so we have a beautiful outdoor pool, um, which um, I think uh, Ivan Allen one day just decided I'm going to build a pool. And he started using um, his his uh, tools from the farm, um, so his tractor and that, to, to uh, excavate um, the area. And they came across two quite large um, rocks in the middle of it. And so luckily at the time, they had a German family staying with them. They had a chat about this and he said, well, actually, would you believe I'm an explosive uh, expert and I'm happy to assist you in blowing up the rock. And so they blew up the rock and that's how we have our swimming pool. Which is very convenient. Now, it's, it's kidney shaped um, and it is heated and it is outdoors, but it's one of these things that is used uh, not all year round because, let's face it, who wants to go swimming outdoors in Ireland in December? So you, you fill it and, and kind of get going again every summer, do you? Yeah, around the start of May, we start to um, to kind of bring it back to life. So the first job that Tobias has every year is relocating all our lovely tadpoles that have made it its home. Um, so he does that into the pond, uh, ensuring that they're all looked after very well. He's very, very careful with that. And then we start the, the cleaning process and, and, and all that goes with that and hopefully refill it by mid-May. And then weather permitted, it goes all the way till the end of September. Okay, and that's brilliant because uh, it, it's in addition to what is already a wonderful property. And there's been lots of work carried out at Ballybaloo. You've used lockdown well to to touch up uh, the property. It's it's a fabulous spot if anyone hasn't been. We have indeed. Well, the first big thing that happened is we we re-roofed it, which is a very important uh, a very important element to get done. And then we started to do up our bedrooms um, and bathrooms. So we've kind of um, we've done about ten at this point, um, and we actually converted uh, Mr. and Mrs. Allen's flat into two beautiful bedrooms um, in the winter just gone. So there's something very special because obviously that's where Mr. and Mrs. Allen lived for the the latter part of their life. Now, there's no two rooms the same at Ballyblue House, really, is there? Because it is a country pile. It's a country manor. It is. And there is no two rooms the same. And our fantastic reservations manager, Daphne, is excellent at being able to sell and explain all the different types we have from the quirky, tiny little rooms to um, our gatehouse room, which is over two floors and is is in the little tiny gatehouse that's been on the property um, since 1600s. Yeah, and there is also a Norman Tower, which I didn't realise as well. Now, you don't really use the Norman Tower for much at the moment, but it's it's the kind of thing that just adds a little bit of extra magic to the property. Absolutely. And look, we'd love to to utilise it more in the future. Obviously, we need to figure out how to, to get people up there safely. Um, but it's a phenomenal thing to have. At the moment, it's used as a as a very exciting bar store because um, it is located at the back of, of our bar. Um, but we would love at some point to be able to do more with it. 
Yeah, well, it's exactly. It's been wasted as a bar store, considering there used to be Normans running up and down it from time to time. But the rest of the property then, we haven't even mentioned food yet, which is what Ballymaloo House is famous for on top of the accommodation there. Uh, since you started as general manager, I mean, have you become a, a bit of an expert in, in, in what is the best and the finest food? Absolutely. Every day is a school day um, in, in Ballymaloo. I'm learning so much. Um, but, you know, we are the original farm to fork. Um, so before it was something to talk about or before it was fashionable, let's say we were doing it. And so um, that continues now to every day. Um, like I get a menu to, to, to type up and produce sometimes at five o'clock in the evening because we don't know what's coming in or what fish has arrived or, you know, what vegetables are coming out of the garden. So it's it's very exciting. Um, and you're looking ahead to a busy summer season, I presume. Um, the first full summer you've had um, since COVID restrictions eased. Are you booked out? Are you looking forward to a very busy couple of weeks ahead? Well, we're very excited. Um, it's the first time that we're going to have a summer open seven days as well since pre-COVID, which is is really exciting. Um, we have a very strong bookings, so we're looking very, very busy um, for the next couple of weeks and, and, and into August and even September is is looking really, really strong. So I, I can't wait for, for all that buzz and excitement ahead of us. And you've got a big focus on green energy down in the house as well. You've got a lot of solar panels that have been added in. How difficult has it been to marry the old house with the new technology? Look, I think um, it's, it's it's easy to marry because it's it's the future. And, um, you know, we're very lucky to have a lot of um, land. And so the solar panels are actually down on, on all of the farm uh, barns and buildings. So, you know, it's not affecting the, the, the look of the house. Um, we also have a biomass boiler, which is which is also stored down on the farm. So we're very lucky to have that extensive space and, and the farm to to help us and, and assist us with doing these things. Uh, bottom line, I have to go back to the pool to finish up. You, you know the way you said you had to move the tadpoles uh, out of the pool? Did you move them? They're down elsewhere. So the tadpoles have become frogs who are happy residents of Ballymaloo House. They are indeed, you know, and you have to be very careful because there has to be rocks and things in the vicinity for them so that they can get in and out of the water. So it's actually a bigger job than you think than just moving them to another area of water. Um, but yes, we now have resident frogs on Ballymaloo as well. But you're, you're not tempted to put frogs legs on the menu now because you've already supplied them from the pool. No, we're, we're, we're not tempted to that yet. Certainly suggested to Dervla. <laughs> yeah, farm to fork might be taking it a bit of a stretch. But look, Dervla uh, is your head chef. Uh, Laura Bean, you are the manager there. If people want to have a look at the hotel and have a look at, at the house and see if it's somewhere they might want to stay, what's the website address? So it's ballymaloo.ie um, and also uh, Ballymaloo House on, on Instagram. Um, Helen does a great job of, of keeping you up to date of everything that's happening in the house and, and on the local area. All right, Laura Bean of Ballymaloo House. Pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Pleasure. Thanks, Jonathan. And that's it from this episode of Red Business. Don't forget you can download every episode right now by going to redfm.ie. Kira McDonough was the producer. And as always, we'll catch you on the next one. Get the Red Business Podcast every week with Jonathan Healy at redfm.ie and wherever you get your podcasts.